Um, Y'all should uh, get with Tori. It feels like I'm strangely echoing up here, and I like it. Um, But if you don't know Tori, um, that's a story worth getting to know um, some more of the details. So thanks for being brave to share with us tonight, Tori. Uh, A couple of things before we jump in. Um, First is we really do hope that you'll consider coming to Winter Conference. I know the semester has just begun. Some of you guys have been gone and are back. Welcome back to you. Um, And uh, it might feel a little bit early in the semester, but I think it's going to be a really great time, not just to connect with each other, um, but because um, the the whole thing is being uh, created as an opportunity for rest, and not just like physical rest, um, but to learn how to rest spiritually. Um, to learn how to rest in God, and I'm really excited about it, so I hope that you'll consider it. It is $99, but only if you use the code WAKE. I forgot about that. So it's supposed to be more than $99, but I got it set up. So if you use the code WAKE, it will only be $99. So I hope that you'll consider that. If you want to talk about it more, I'd love that. Also, um, I know that some folks have gotten jobs that are lo- they're looking forward to after graduation, but I wanted to just um, acknowledge a couple Uh, One is that our own Lucy Chapman and Gracie Deloche have taken uh, positions to work with RUF after they graduate for a couple years. And I'm super excited. Uh, Lucy will be at Harvard and Gracie will be at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So no big deal. No big deal. And also, Andrew, uh, Andrew Mooney, uh, who goes with Gracie, will also be at, at MIT. So. Uh, my name's Chris. If I don't know you, um, I would really love to get to know you. I'm the campus minister here. Basically, what that means is that I am a minister, um, but instead of being called to a church, I'm called to this campus and really grateful um, for that. And uh, if this is your first time here or your first time in a long time, we're really grateful that you're here. Thanks for spending this evening with us. Um, we're going to be looking at a book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament after the Psalms. We have Bibles on that table there that are free if you want to take one with you. It's not stealing if someone tells you that you can have it. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, please uh, take one. And uh, so the question before us tonight as we dive into this passage um, is, what if God isn't real? Like, what if there is no God, there's no spirituality Um, what if the life that we are leading now is just all that there is? This ancient text called Ecclesiastes is really centered around that question. And that's what we're going to explore for the next few weeks. What if God isn't real? And what if all that we have to hold on to and to live for is the life that we're living right now? Um, If you're a person of faith or you grew up in a faith community, that might feel like a weird question. It might feel like a question that you're not supposed to ask. Um, But uh, if people of faith don't regularly wrestle with the question of what if this isn't real? Um, What if there is no God? Um, If we don't continually wrestle with that question, we often don't get the chance to see is my life actually any functionally different if God is real or not? It's a question that people of faith have to wrestle with again and again. What does it mean to not believe? What, if it mean, what does it mean if none of this is true? And if you're here and you're not a person of faith, what's beautiful about Ecclesiastes, which is maybe my favorite text in all the Bible, is that it takes that question very seriously. Um, 
and wrestles honestly with life without God. And um, I don't know about you, but I can, I can be cynical when it comes to the Bible. Um, after all, it is an ancient text written by people that are very different from us and in many ways we see as being very backward or primitive. Um, but I'm consistently amazed when I actually read the Bible um, at how so many of the questions that we are asking and the things that we are wrestling with are the exact same questions and struggles of the folks wrestling with God in the Bible. And that the folks in the Bible are often experiencing life the same way that we are. And somehow, even though they believe in things like demons and miracles and all kinds of things that many of us don't believe in anymore, they seem to find answers that are deeply satisfying and sound, um, much more deeply satisfying than what I'm usually able to come up with. So as we dive into this book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to be exploring this question. If there is no God, um, is there anything that can satisfy us in this life? So we're going to start from the beginning, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's uh, there, but if you're in the front, you might not be able to see it. But um, as you hear this, you can just listen. Um, It may be helpful to close your eyes, um, to just hear um, what this person is saying to us. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, people that have gone on before. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. It's a very encouraging text. No one remembers the people that lived before and people that haven't even been born yet. No one's going to remember them either. Okay. Um, You're welcome for this ministry of encouragement as you begin. (laughs) I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. That's the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray and ask him to be with us. Lord, um, these are words that are jarring to us and at the same time uh, resonate deeply, um, often with our experience. And Lord, as we explore what does life look like 
uh, without you. Um, Lord, we acknowledge that we are all uh, hungry, hungry um, to be significant, to do things that are significant. I thank you for these sisters and brothers gathered together around this word. Lord, we're all coming from different places, um, we're all feeling different things, all thinking different things tonight. And yet, Lord, you made each of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, you would speak to our hearts, um, even in the way that our sister Tori shared that you have spoken to her. Lord, would you speak to us even now from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this teacher, this person that calls himself the teacher or the preacher, um, starts out in verse 3 by asking this question. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And really what he's asking is, what um, is the good of all these things that we do? Is it possible that by the things I do in my life, I can find happiness, that I can find some kind of satisfaction in my life? And really the question that he goes on to explore, because he's a very rich person and a very wise person, is what if you got everything that you ever dreamed of? Would that be enough? Would that be enough to satisfy a human soul, to make you happy? Would that do it? That's his mission. And he starts about out by saying, he says this over and over again. Like you maybe have heard that saying, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's all these kind of like random sayings that we have that come from the Bible. And that's, that's where that comes from. He keeps talking about the world under the sun. And that's what he means by without God. So when he's saying, I look at things under the sun, what he's saying is imagine that there's nothing above, nothing below, no spiritual existence. It's just the physical realm. Um, Like John Lennon said, imagine there's no hell beneath us, above us, only sky. That's what it means to live under the sun. No afterlife, no God. And what this person is doing is finding out is if they, if they got everything they wanted under the sun in this life, everything this life has to offer, would that satisfy them? And he starts out the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes with this poem where he starts talking, you notice he's saying the sun rises and it, set, and it sets and then it starts all over again. The wind blows and then it turns its direction then it blows again and it keeps blowing over and over and over again. And he says, all the streams are constantly flowing, moving, moving, moving to the ocean. And the ocean is never full. And that's when he says, all things are wearisome. More than one could say. And I I wonder if that rings uh, true to you uh, as you're returning this semester. Maybe last semester was your first semester. um, And uh, you're grappling with the reality that Maybe this experience isn't what everyone promised it would be and striving that this is going to be different and already feeling a little bit tired by everything that waits before you. You know, um, uh, it's amazing how we constantly are moving towards things that we think are going to be the destination, right? Um, I've talked to enough of you to know what your experience was like when you were getting ready to apply for college. and the anxiety that comes from needing to get into the right place and get to the right place, because that is going to be the thing where this greatest four years of, of your life happens. That's the, the, maybe like the greatest over-promise and under-deliver um, of all time. 
College is great, but not enough to make one uh, eternally happy. Um, but, you know, you get to college and you get into Wake, or maybe you got, didn't get into where you wanted to and you ended up at Wake. And then you get here and you haven't arrived, right? Like, you, then you have to find, like, who are my people going to be? Who am I going to belong to? Am I going to be in the right dorm? And then I understand that for many of our sisters in the room, this is a week of extreme anxiety um, for you. Um, that you, there may be a certain organization that you would like to belong to, and that is going to be next week for the fellows. Um, and then once you start getting through that, you get about halfway through, and then you're like, well, I got to get like this internship that's going to set me up. Um, and like, I've never been at a school where like people came into their senior year knowing what their job was going to be. Like, it's amazing. Um, and no shade on you if you don't know what your job is, uh, even though you probably have enough internal shade. But you're thinking about the internship. Um, I still haven't figured out what, what y'all think is funny. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. You know, it's the right internship, the right grad school, the good job. And then after that, you think, that's what I'm moving toward right now. And then after that, you'll get there. And then it's the spouse, the house, the kids, the pets, the next job. And honestly, y'all, when I read Ecclesiastes, when I open this book as someone that's cresting 40, um, I feel like this ocean that this teacher is talking about. The streams of life are running into it, running into it, running into it, and yet it is never filled and all things feel weary. And then what happens is in that seeking in that looking for satisfaction in that flow of that river as we chase the next thing to find the next thing is eventually um, profound disappointment comes. Um, You're dropped from the organization that you want to be part of or your family falls apart or your job sucks or I mean my last semester of college I thought for sure I was going to marry this girl and then I was going to stick around the next year while she finished college and I bought a ring and I proposed and she said no, right? And I was like, that was the thing, you know? That was, I was, I was banking on that. Um, and what the writer of Ecclesiastes says is that when this disappointment comes, we have this realization that it's all a vapor. He says in, in verse 14, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, so peppy. A chasing after the wind, a chasing after vapor. This is like if you, none of you, of course, but your friend that's hitting the jewel and getting a big plume of jewel vapor. Once the vapor is out into the air, you can't gather it in again. If you chase it, it disappears before you. Before you. At the end of the day, we chase happiness. Every single day without ever thinking about it. You don't have to wake up and decide, I'm going to choose to chase happiness today because it's just part of what we do. Um, And yet somehow it always eludes us. And I think there's a profound relief in acknowledging that. um, That we all deeply want to be happy and satisfied and it somehow always seems out of our grasp. So what do we do when that disappointment comes and we begin to recognize that the things that we are chasing after are like jewel vapor? Um, Well, there's a few things that that we can do. Um, We can distract ourselves. 
uh, the, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to explore that. What, what happens when you get the best distractions and you pretend like it's not, none of it's happening? You can deny that it's actually that bad and keep going and think the next thing is going to be it. You can keep chasing good vibes even when good vibes elude you. Um, or you can despair and give up and say, you know what? Like, maybe uh, the goal isn't to be happy. Maybe the goal is something else. And we keep chasing it and uh, trying to avoid disappointment. I love Kendrick Lamar. Um, he is, uh, I mean, I, as someone having a profound wrestling with God, Kendrick is, um, uh, is a teacher. But in Mama, which is on to Pimp a Butterfly, he has this part where he says, uh, he, I think sums up where we are. You know, he says, I've been, I've been looking for you my whole life an appetite for the feeling I can barely describe where you reside. Is it in a woman? Is it in money or mankind? Tell me something. I think I'm losing my mind. Maybe you're in a dollar bill. Maybe you're not real. Maybe only the wealthy get to know how you feel. Maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I don't need you anyway. Don't lie to me. I'm suicidal anyway. I can be your advocate. I can preach for you if you tell me what the matter is. And that point, and I know this seems intense, the first RUF, and like everything is meaningless and all the things you're seeking are a vapor. Let's pray. Um, uh, It sounds intense, but I think one of the deep blessings of the scripture and especially of Ecclesiastes is taking us to this place where we realize that happiness is always eluding us and we're always chasing it. And that is precisely the beginning point of life with God. It is precisely the moment of disappointment when you are dropped, when you don't get the internship, when you break up, when you don't get into the grad school, when things aren't working out and you realize I and maybe I'm not going to get everything I ever wanted. And even when I do, what's worse is when you do get it and then you realize I'm still hungry. That is the place where Jesus camps out. It's the beginning part of the journey with God. Because listen to what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John. This is in John chapter 6. I, 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 don't, I don't know if you, if you were thinking like, okay, if I had no conception of God and God was going to introduce God's self to me, what would he say? How would he describe himself? This is what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Those two images that Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life and I'm the water of life. They don't have any meaning outside of you are hungry and I can satisfy you. You are thirsty and I can quench your thirst. The, the way in which Jesus is describing himself is as one who brings deep satisfaction to know him. That you are hungry and he wants to make you full. That you are thirsty and he wants to quench it. Because here's the thing. God is very different than us. He created us in his image and we share and reflect so much that is beautiful and powerful about him. But God is different than us in this key way. God is always full of delight and joy, and wholeness. He's constantly confident and whole in who he is. 
And he longs to make us the same. To bring deep satisfaction to our souls. Recognizing that we can't find the satisfaction that we long for is the beginning point of life with a God who defines himself as the satisfier of souls, as bread and water. Uh, There's a British scholar and writer named C.S. Lewis who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, Pretty cool guy. Um, Actually, he doesn't seem like a cool guy at all. It seems like a really boring person, but um, beautiful writer. But he wrote, um, maybe he was really fun. I don't know. Um, But he said this, and it's always resonated with me. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, Like, if we stop there, like, if you have a desire within you that there is nothing on this earth can satisfy, it it can only mean, like, a couple of things. It either means it's, it's worthless and you should do away with it, or, as Lewis says, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What if it is the case that God put a deep longing into your heart that you would go through life not having met again and again and again because he wanted to invite you not to be unhappy, but to find deep satisfaction in him. The satisfaction to our deep longing for wholeness and joy is Jesus. That's how he describes himself. I'm the bread of life. If you eat from me, you'll never be hungry again. I'm the water of life. If you drink from me, you'll never thirst again. That's Jesus is that satisfaction, not something he does, not something he gives you, not a way of life, not reading the Bible, not a feeling that you get from Jesus, but he himself is the satisfier of our souls. He's the answer to our questions that we don't even have words to formulate into questions. And everything that exists is actually crying out from God, come to Jesus and be satisfied. And so that that means three things for us. Um, Three things that we can sort of take away and ponder as we think about, okay, I I have this deep longing to be satisfied. I constantly try to to fill it and I'm found, found wanting. Jesus promises to satisfy me. Means three things. The first is that the Christian faith is saying to us that you do not have to give up on your soul's desire to be whole and happy and satisfied. That actually that longing, that longing that propels you into every relationship, into every class, into every job, into every action, that is the most beautiful and human part of who you are, is that longing. It's not something to be suppressed. It's not something to be ignored. It's not something to be filled with something cheap. It's actually what is most beautiful and human about you. You don't have to give up on being deeply satisfied or subtle. The second is this, is that you can embrace being disappointed. Um, Most of the way that I move in the world and that most of us move in the world is trying desperately to avoid being disappointed. 
We will not move into a relationship with someone if we feel that it's going to disappoint us in the end. We will not choose a major if we think that it's going to disappoint us in the end. We actually spend our lives trying to avoid being disappointed. But I think what this writer is inviting us to throughout this book is to actually embrace the experience of being disappointed. And that you can embrace being disappointed without demanding other people fix it or answer for it. Because usually what we do is when we feel disappointment is we make a demand. I'm disappointed. You need to change. You need to apologize. You need to make it better. Or you say to yourself, I'm disappointed. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to avoid that pain at all costs. But actually, you can embrace disappointment and actually let it turn into sorrow. Um, you know, as I, I've talked with Tori about her story, and we were just talking yesterday, like, there, there's no demanding those things to go away. There's acknowledging the pain and the disappointment of what has happened and saying that it's real. That is actually part of deeply what it means to know God. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, my favorite uh, musician um, of all time is, is Tori Amos. And um, partly because <laughs> I want you to imagine me as a sixth grade little boy and listening to Tori Amos CDs on my CD Walkman. And um, I, when I was growing up, I, um, maybe some of you guys grew up like this. Or maybe you will discover one day in therapy that you grew up like this. Um, I tell my therapist, my therapist does this thing and he's like, I want you to remember a memory and then I want you to say, how did it feel and what did you do? And I'm always like, I can remember the memory, but I have no idea how it felt. And I did that with him for about a year before he was like, well, you don't remember how it felt because you weren't feeling anything. You were completely numb emotionally to the world. And I was like, that's why I'm paying you. Um, um, but I... I uh, I struggled to feel feelings. And part of the great gift that Tori Amos, not Tori O'Brien, but yeah, same, um, <laughs> that Tori Amos gave to me as a young person was helping me to like, feel my feelings and understand them. And also to understand like, the pain of being a woman and enter into that. Um, anyway, she's great. But in one of her songs um, called Little Earthquakes, the, the end of the song is just this refrain where she just says over and over and over again, give me life, give me pain, give me myself again. And that has always struck me as so courageous. And I think deeply beautiful in a Jesus sense that we can embrace our disappointment and acknowledge it as real and not run from it and also not demand that things change. Because the greatest disappointment, I mean, even if we are able to somehow hit every step just right and get all the way across the pond, um, in the end, the great disappointment of human existence is that you're going to die, that death is real, the loss of, of everything. That's what he says in verse 11. I, mean, I know I made a joke earlier, but he's like, no one remembers the people that came before, people that ain't even born yet. They're going to come and then they're going to die and no one's going to remember them. The loss of all. And what's part of what is so amazing about Jesus, this bread of life, is that he entered into death as the great disappointment. And he was overcome by it. And then he triumphed over it in the resurrection. 
so that disappointment is never the end of the story. Death is never the end of the story. And, and that's the third thing, and we'll, and we'll stop here. You can have hope for the future. I don't know if you realize this, but every time you go to class or every time you start a relationship, every time you get out of bed, it is an act of hope that things are going to continue and that there is something worth moving toward. And what Jesus is inviting us to is to a hope for the future that that satisfaction will come. I don't know what you, um, especially if you grew up in a religious context, I don't, I don't know what people told you was like the great end game of knowing God. But the great end game of knowing God, according to the scripture, is that we will see him as he is. And then all will be well. You can actually give yourself, regardless of the risk and result, because disappointment will end in the end. When you experience disappointment and choose to love anyway, you are practicing the resurrection, that Jesus is alive and real. So the invitation for us tonight is to come to Jesus with your longings, your deep longing to be satisfied, and he will satisfy. We're going to explore that together this semester. So I'm going to pray. Because it's not Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, these are, uh, you know, it feels easy to say, but dang near impossible to believe that you are who you say you are and that you actually can deliver on being the bread of life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to come to you, that you would let us to hear your voice, that we would allow these disappointments, the vapor of what we're chasing, to be an entry point into you who are smiling down upon us, whose heart is open in invitation and embrace to us. I pray that you would satisfy us. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's sing one more song.